You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. So now, before us this morning is a passage that, that in many ways reminds us that, that you don't need to be the most talented, you, you don't need, need to be the most eloquent, you don't need to be the, the most educated for God to use you. You know, because uh, we, we tend to think that, that, that those that God often uses the greatest are often those who have the greatest talent or, or the greatest ability. But this morning we discovered that, that as far as God is concerned, it's often the weaker, the better. The weaker, the better. And so now as we go back to verse 18, verses 18 and 19, we see that, that to the world, God's wisdom seems foolish. To the world, God's wisdom seems foolish. So again, verse 18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now, because we took a break, let's go back and get some context. Remember, in the previous section where we left off, uh, remember that that the Christians living in the ancient city of Corinth were were basically fighting over who their favorite preacher was. And so some were like, I'm of Paul, and and I'm of of Apollos, and and I'm of Cephas, or or as he's called, Peter. And In fact, they were even fighting over who baptized them. And so some were saying, well, I'm baptized by Paul, and I got baptized by, by Apollos, and so on and so forth. And so it's on that note that in verse 17, Paul had said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be emptied of its power. And so he's saying, listen, I I, I wasn't called to be a great public speaker, to entertain you with all these eloquent words. I I, I was called to preach the gospel. I, I was called to preach the gospel not with eloquent words of wisdom. Now, that word wisdom that Paul used there in verse 17, in the original language, is the Greek word Sophia. Now, listen, the ancient Greeks, I mean, they absolutely loved wisdom. In fact, they were the ones who coined the phrase phile Sophia, or as we would translate it in English, philosophy. But this word philosophy, or, or, or the Greek word phile Sophia, it's made up of two Greek words, phile, which means love, and Sophia, which means wisdom. And so literally, they loved wisdom. The Greeks loved wisdom. Now, as we said a, a few weeks back, the city of Corinth was, was one of the major Greek cities in the ancient Greek world. And the people who lived there not only loved philosophy, they not only loved wisdom, but what they really loved were philosophers, great orators, you know, great you know, public, you know, dynamic public speakers, entertaining speakers. I mean, you don't get that here, but you know, just imagine. You know, but just these, these dynamic, entertaining speakers, that's what they really loved. Now, times haven't changed much. I mean, you know, we think about it. We live in a day where, where quite frankly, you know, oftentimes the messenger can draw more attention than the message. More people are interested in who's preaching, who, you know, who's going to be at the service today, who's preaching, who's the speaker. The, the messenger draws more attention than the message. In fact, that reminds me of a, of a very well-known preacher from, from back in the 1800s. His name was Henry Ward Beecher. Now, Henry Ward Beecher, when I say that he was well-known, I mean, he was like internationally well-known, world famous, so much so that people would travel from miles and miles just to hear him preach. And so you can imagine their disappointment when one Sunday, Henry Ward Beecher woke up so sick he could not preach. So he asked his brother Thomas to fill in for him. So all these people travel from miles and miles only to arrive and, and see Thomas and not Henry. And they were disappointed. Some people turned around and left. Others were bored and, 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 and actually started talking while he was preaching. And it got to the point where, where he actually paused. And, and he stopped and he said, listen, 
whoever came here to worship my famous brother Henry, you should probably go home. But whoever came here to worship God, please stay. You see, he's putting the emphasis in the right place. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. It's about the word of God and the God of the word. And so Paul, he's he's telling the Corinthians, listen, I didn't come to entertain you. I didn't come to be this great Greek orator, this dynamic public speaker. I came to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom. And then on that note, he then says in verses 18 and 19, he says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And then he says, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now, at this point, what, what Paul's doing is, is he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. In fact, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. Isaiah 29, 14. Now, here, here's what's happening in, in that passage in Isaiah. What's happening is that, is that the nation of Israel, the ancient nation of Israel, is, is under attack by this world power called Assyria, the, the, the mighty empire of Assyria. Now, as they're being attacked, as they're under attack, God starts speaking to the people and he says, listen, if you repent, if you turn back to me, if, if, if you put your trust in me, then I will save you. I will save you. But instead, they do not put their trust in God. What do they do? Well, Isaiah 29 tells us that they make a treaty with the nation of Egypt instead. Listen, as far as conventional wisdom is concerned, I mean, what they did, I mean, that, that was a solid strategy. I mean, it was common sense. It made sense. I mean, you know, because here they're under this invasion. They're under attack by, by this mighty superpower called Assyria. Now, meanwhile, what they do is, is they go and make an allegiance. They, 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 they make an agreement with the only other superpower at the time, Egypt. They're like, we're, un, we're under invasion, and what we need is a mighty superpower to have our back, to, to be our backup, to have our six, to make sure that we're, we're going to be okay, to protect us. And so from a worldly perspective, what they did was solid. It made sense. In fact, quite frankly, uh, you know, uh, probably to their perspective, it would seem foolish to just sit there while you're under invasion by this mighty empire called Assyria and just sit there and do nothing but pray. And so they, they make this treaty. You know, in the same way, listen, we live in a day where, where from the world's perspective, frankly, it's foolish, it seems, to just trust God when the economy is collapsing. To just trust God when the stock market is, is, is plummeting. To just trust God when, when inflation is rising. You know, there are some people who put their trust in the Lord, and there's others who put their trust in their stock portfolios. And, and so when the going gets rough, they're like, you know what, we're okay, we're secure. You know, we, we, we've, we've got our portfolio, we, 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 we've saved, we've planned, we've got our retirement, we've got this, we've got that. We're secure. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Tell those who are rich not to be proud and do not trust in their money, which will soon be gone. <laughs> Amen to that. Anybody fill up their tank lately? Uh, Tell those who are rich not to be proud and, and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone, but their pride and their trust should be in, their, in the living God. Listen to this. There's nothing wrong with, in fact, it's a good thing to plan for your future. It's a good thing to plan your retirement. It's a good thing to, 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 to have a 401k. It's a good thing to have those things. But listen, those things are not where your trust should be. Your trust should not be in those things. You should have those things, but your trust should be in the living God. Reminds me, years and years ago, before I went into the full-time ministry, I mean, this was many, many years ago, like when I was, like when I was in my early 20s, like, like five years ago, <laughs> Plus some. 
But years ago, back like 1990, I, I, one of the jobs I had was I worked at, at Bally's Holiday Health Club selling health club memberships. Now, one of the guys I worked there w w with was, w was really good at selling memberships. In fact, so good, he was like pulling down 10 grand a month selling health club memberships. This was like in 1990. And so he's, he, you know, he's, he's just raking in all this cash. And one day, I, I, I'm talking with him, and I start sharing my testimony with him. You know, I share how I came to Christ. And, and, and I share with him how, how I grew up in 20 different foster homes and how I was molested when I was a kid, how, how I was abused when I was a kid, how, how my dad committed suicide and this and the other. And, and then I shared with him how, how Jesus came into my life and changed my life and, and gave me a life that was worth living, a, a life of hope, a, a life of, of purpose, a life of meaning. Now this whole time I'm talking to him on my inside voice, I'm thinking, you know what? I bet I have this guy eating out of the palm of my hand. I mean, any minute he's gonna be like, dude, how do I get what you've got? But instead, he turns and says, Paul, why is it that it's always the hard luck cases like you? Why is it it's always, always the people like you, the, the people who, whose lives are a mess, who've hit rock bottom? Why is it always the people like you that find Jesus and we never hear about any happy people, any successful people who find Jesus? Now, I, I don't know the full answer to that question, but you know, part of the answer is this. Part of the answer is that perhaps they don't find Jesus because they're the type of people that are trusting in their riches and not in God. They look at their account. They look, they look at their portfolio. They're like, you know, why would I need God? I've got everything I need. I don't need your God. And that is where the nation of Israel is, the ancient nation of Israel. As they're under invasion, they're under attack, but they feel like they didn't need God because they had Egypt. Now, the sad truth of the matter is, is they get defeated and also Egypt gets defeated. But at first, you know, the Israelites are like, you know, hey, listen, we're being attacked by, by the premier superpower in the world, the, the, the empire of, of, of Assyria. I mean, how is prayer going to stop that? You know, they're like, listen, you know, I mean, trusting in God when, when, when we're being invaded and we're going to be conquered, if all we do is just pray and trust God, I mean, that's just foolish. We've got to take practical steps. We've got to do practical things. We need an ally. And now why is Paul quoting from, from Isaiah? Well, he's quoting from Isaiah to show the Greeks living in, in the city of Corinth uh, how, how they're treating the cross, that this is their attitude, that they're all basically like, hey, how is a savior who couldn't even save himself from the cross gonna save us? To, to believe in a savior who couldn't even save himself, that's just foolish. And so as far as the world is concerned, God's wisdom seems foolish, but as we pick it up in verses 20 through 25, we see that to God, the world's wisdom is foolish. The world's wisdom is foolish. Verse 20, Paul says, where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made, the foolish, I'm sorry, made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are, who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So Paul says that, that, that the cross to the Jew is a stumbling block, and the cross to the Gentile is foolishness. But first he says it's a stumbling block to the Jew. Now you have to understand, to the ancient Jew back in Paul's day, you need to realize that, frankly, they didn't even understand their own scriptures. 
They didn't understand their own scriptures. I mean, here they were, because they were living under slavery, under domination to the Roman Empire at that time. Basically, when they read their scriptures, they ignored all the prophecies about a Messiah who would suffer and die. They, they ignored everything Isaiah said about a suffering servant. They, they ignored all those prophecies, and instead, all they would cling to were the prophecies that dealt with conquering and victory. And so, frankly, they were, they were looking for a Savior who would conquer Rome, not a Savior who would conquer sin. Now, not only that, but, but you have to understand that to the average Jew living in that day, the cross uh, was, was a sign of weakness. And in fact, frankly, the, the cross was a sign that you were under God's judgment, that you were under God's condemnation. Now, they think that because of a little passage back in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. The passage says, For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. And that phrase, hung on a tree, that's a euphemism for, for being crucified. And so they would say that, that anyone who was crucified, anyone hung on a tree, hung on a cross, they had been cursed by God. And so for, for the Jew, they're like, listen, if Jesus was God's Messiah, then why would God himself curse his own Messiah and have him hung on a tree, have him crucified? It was a stumbling block. They're like, hey, how, how can an unemployed carpenter from Nazareth, of all places, you know, who died this humiliating death, actually condemned and judged by God himself, you know, he was crucified. He died like a common criminal. How could he be our savior? So to the Jew, it was a stumbling block. But then Paul goes on to say that to the Greek, it was foolishness. Listen, the Greeks, especially the ones who lived in Corinth, I mean, I mean it was all about sophistication, being sophisticated. And so for them, you know, in, in their sophistication, frankly, they laughed at the simplicity of the gospel. This gospel message that says all you need is to believe. All you need is to, is to put your faith in the one who died so that you can live. They're like, listen, I mean, that's just too simple. I mean, just, just, just believe? I mean, look, only the naive would believe something like that. Only, only the uneducated would believe something like that. I mean, certainly nobody who, who's enlightened, nobody who's intelligent, nobody who, who's educated would believe something so naive and, and so simple and so foolish as the cross. So to the Jew, a stumbling block, to the Gentile foolishness. But listen to this, God's ways are not man's ways. Am I right? In fact, you know, does it ever seem to you that, that sometimes God almost like intentionally will, will do, do some crazy things or, or do some foolish things just to get your attention? You know, you take, for example, the, the story of Joshua and, and the battle of Jericho. We know that story well, you know, and, and, and as you read that story, uh, it, it's crazy because, you know, here's Joshua. He's like, he's like a military man. He, he's a soldier, meaning that, that this is a man who's used to having a strategy, having a battle plan. So he prays and he's like, okay, God, what, what's, what's your battle plan uh, for, for us to, to conquer and defeat the, you know, Jericho? What do you want us to do? Do you want, to, want us to scale the walls? Do you, you want us to, to storm the city? Do you want us to you know, starve the enemy out? What do you want us to do? What, what's your battle plan? And so God's like, okay, you know, here's what's going to happen, Joshua. Write this down. Here's my battle plan. What I want you to do is I want you and your troops to just march around the city walls for six straight days. Joshua's like, okay, six days? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Joshua, here, here's where it gets really good. Write this down. Because after six days, then on the seventh day, what I want you to do is I want the priest, oh yeah, and the trumpet players to lead the march. 
And then I want you to march around the city seven times. And then on that seventh time, that seventh lap, then what I want to have happen is the trumpet players will out the biggest, loudest trumpet blast you can imagine. And you know what's going to happen, Joshua? The walls are going to come tumbling down. And Joshua's like, right. Just magically just come tumbling down. We're just going to play some music and bring the house down. Okay, then. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, does it ever seem like, like, like God's just messing with your mind? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, what, Joshua's thinking, what kind of battle plan is this? He, he's thinking, you know, I mean, uh, you want me just to bring in the marching band? Really? You know, and, what? Does it ever seem to you that, 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 that Sometimes it's like God goes out of his way and, and, and he puts you in a situation that is so desperate and then he gives you a battle plan that is so crazy that frankly, the only thing you can do is either trust him or not trust him. It's one or the other. You're either gonna step out in faith or you're not stepping at all. He puts you in this crazy situation. Listen, God's ways are not man's ways. Isaiah 55, verse, verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's wisdom makes man's wisdom look like foolishness. And so in the same way, it shouldn't surprise us at all when, when, when the God of eternity decides to draft up his battle plan to defeat sin. And when he drafts up this plan, his plan was, was not to come as a mighty, conquering king. No, he came as a lowly carpenter. He didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer sin, and he conquered sin by dying. Dying on a cross. And so to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, it was foolishness. But to God, his wisdom makes man's wisdom look foolish. In fact, as we pick it up in verses 26 through 28, we see that ultimately God chooses the weak and God chooses the foolish. Verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world standards. And not many were powerful. And not many were, 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 were of, uh, of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Listen, I think our tendency, you know, our, our, our tendency in our human nature is this. You know, we, I think we tend to forget where we came from. In other words, we, you know, once we become a Christian, once Jesus changes our life, after a while, we forget the cesspool he found us in. We forget the hole that, that, he, that he pulled us out of. We forget how miserable and, and empty our lives really were when the Lord wasn't in it. We forget where we came from. In fact, I know of a pastor, I won't mention his name, but I know of a pastor who, who, who never graduated high school, but he actually pastors one of the largest churches in America. Now with that, uh, because he's been pastoring this church for years and years, one day uh, a very well-known seminary decided that they would give him and award him an honorary doctorate degree. Not an earned doctorate degree. I mean, he never even graduated high school. Just, they just say, you know, because of his life work and his life experience, they're like, look, I mean, we see what God's done with you. Even without an education, we see how God's used you. And we just want to honor that. We just want to recognize that. And that's kind of a cool thing. In fact, the only problem with it was, was that it kind of went to this guy's head. 
For about a year or two, he, he actually walked around and kind of demanded that people would call him Dr. So-and-so. It was an honorary degree, not an earned degree. You know, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, it kind of went to his head. Well, well, listen, in a sense, that's describing the Christians who were living in the ancient city of Corinth. Here they are, they're, they're now, you've been walking with Jesus for a few years, they know a few Bible verses, they, they're, they're using their spiritual gifts, and, and according to 1 Corinthians, it, it went to their heads. Remember, the, the book of 1 Corinthians was a letter of correction. Paul's correcting them. And so it went to their heads. In fact, in chapters 4 and chapter 5, we see that Paul confronts them about their pride. He confronts them uh, that they kind of have this tendency to act puffed up. In fact, that phrase, puffed up, it's repeated over and over again in chapters 4 and 5. They have this tendency to, to act prideful, to act puffed up. And so what's Paul doing here in verse 26 when Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. And not many of you were, were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. What was God doing? God, what was Paul doing? Paul was reminding them where they came from. He's reminding them, listen, when, when you guys became Christians, you were not one of the philosophers out there. You know, I mean, you, 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 now you're acting like you're all sophisticated. Now you're acting like you're all higher educated. Now you're acting like, like you're among the who's who and you're super sophisticated. But when, when God found you, he's like, you know what? God didn't call you because of your social standing. God didn't call you because of your financial status. God didn't call you because, because you were raised in powerful and, and influential families. No, as, as Warren Wiersbe put it, he said, they were just ordinary people who were terrible sinners. You see, they weren't chosen by God because of what they were. In fact, they were chosen by God in spite of what they were. They were chosen, why? Because God chooses the foolish and the weak. In fact, as we, as we now pick it up in verse 29 down to the end, we see that as far as God's concerned, the weaker, the better. Verse 29, So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so again, Paul says, you know what? God calls the weak. God chooses the foolish. But why? Why does God choose the weak? Why does God choose the foolish? Answer, it's so that, it's so that ultimately he gets the glory, not you. So that he gets the credit. He gets the glory. In fact, I, I love this. Years back, when Pastor Chuck Smith was still alive, uh, I was at a senior pastor's conference. This is a pastor's conference for, for Calvary Chapel pastors. And Chuck Smith was talking about this very thing. And in fact, he was talking uh, about, about the fact that, that within Calvary Chapel, many of the Calvary guys, the majority of them, do not have uh, Bible college degrees or seminary degrees. Now, there are some that do. In fact, there are some who have gone back to get their degrees. But the vast majority of the Calvary Chapel guys do not have those degrees. And then Chuck had a big smile on his face and he said, isn't it glorious that the world can't blame what God's doing on your degree? You can't get the credit for it. You can't get the glory for it. He gets the glory. Now listen, that's not to say that, that God cannot use people who have an education. Obviously he can. I mean, when you think about it, the, the Apostle Paul had basically the equivalent of a, of a double doctorate degree. And obviously God used him, right? I mean, God used him to plant uh, uh, all kinds of churches all over the ancient world. God used him to write almost a third of the New Testament. And God used him to heal all kinds of people. So obviously God used Paul even with his education. However, 
what we see here with, with, with the Christians in the city of, uh, of Corinth is kind of a warning. It's a warning that, that you know, the, the danger of wisdom, that the danger of an education is that if you're not careful, it can stroke your ego. It, it, can, it, can, it, can, it, you know, it can stroke your pride. You, you can get puffed up like the Corinthians got puffed up. In fact, uh, recently on the radio, I heard Rick Warren. Now, if you don't know, Rick Warren is, is the current pastor of Saddleback Church. I say current because he's, he's getting ready to retire. So he's kind of like the current outgoing pastor uh, of Saddleback. He's also the author of, of A Pur- Purpose Driven Life. But on the radio, Rick Warren had said, he said, it took me about 10 years of pastoring for God to beat the pride out of me that seminary put into me. <laughs> and then I heard Chuck Swindoll say, it took me four years to get my graduate degree and it took me about 40 years to get over it. And so what's the point? Well, the point is simply this. You don't need to be the most educated for God to use. You don't need to be the most sophisticated. You don't need to come from the perfect home and have the perfect background. You don't need to be among the who's who for God to use. In fact, quite frankly, more often than not, God uses the who's that. Because as far as God's concerned, the weaker, the better. Now listen, as far as man's concern, it's all about education, but as far as God's concern, it's all about inspiration. That is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's interesting. In, in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we have a list of men that God had used. And he used them because of their faith. In fact, it's often called, Hebrews 11, it's called the, the hall of faith. Not the hall of fame. God did not use them because they were famous. In fact, they were nobodies. God used them because they put their faith in him. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we read this. It says in verses 32 to 34, it says, What more shall I say then? For time would fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the the, the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. That's a key phrase. Out of weakness they were made strong. They became valiant in battle. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Now, by aliens, we don't mean space invaders. We mean invaders from other earthly kingdoms, okay? But it's interesting. We look at some of the men that are on this list that, that God had used, and it's a very fascinating list. He, he first mentions Gideon. Now, we, we, we meet Gideon, by the way, way back in the Old Testament in a book called Judges, Judges chapter 6. And when we meet Gideon, he was actually hiding in a wine press. He's terrified. He's, he, he's, he's scared to death. He's afraid of, uh, of the enemy called the Midianites. And he's afraid that the Midianites are, are, are going to find him, uh, arrest him, probably torture him, and maybe even kill him. So he's hiding in this wine press, terrified, afraid for his life, when all of a sudden the Bible says an angel of the Lord came, and the angel said, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. (laughs) Gideon's like, valiant warrior? Probably looks around in the wine press, see if there's anybody else in there with them. He's like, valiant warrior, I'm hiding in a wine press. I mean, if anything else, you know, uh, Gideon was more like the cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz, you know. I'm not afraid, 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 scared of you. Put him, put him up. I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he's, he's cow, he was the coward lion, not the valiant warrior, but God used him to deliver the people. Then on the list, we have, we have Barack. Now, this is not former President Barack Obama. This is a different Barack. But when we read his story, this is a leader of the people who, who was afraid to lead his people in battle. In fact, he was so afraid to lead his people in battle, he had a woman named Deborah do it for him. And yet, God used them. 
And then on the list, of course, there's Samson. We all know the story of Samson and Delilah. And then after that, there's this guy named Jephthah. You're thinking, Jephthah, who's that? Is that a good old boy from Alabama? No, that's a different Jephthah. This Jephthah, we, we meet back in Judges chapter 11. Now, in Judges 11, we, we see that God calls Jephthah a mighty man of valor. Now, that might have been what God called Jephthah, a mighty man of valor. But listen, nobody else ever called him that. In fact, quite frankly, to everybody else, Jephthah was just the illegitimate son of a prostitute. He was despised. He was an outcast. He was rejected. And everybody hated him. He was just the illegitimate son of a prostitute. And yet at a time when, 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 when Israel's enemies, the Ammonites they were called, were, were closing in and they were surrounding the people and there was no hope in sight, God called Jephthah to, to, to rescue the people, to deliver the people. In fact, it's interesting. It says in Judges chapter 11, verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. You see, the story of Jephthah is not a story of a guy who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. It's not a story of a guy who was raised to to be a natural-born leader. No, the story of Jephthah is a story of how the Holy Spirit of God came upon this man that everyone else called illegitimate. This illegitimate man, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, he became a mighty man of valor. You see, the, the story of Jephthah, the, the story of Gideon, the, the, the story of Barak, it's a story of how God uses the weak. Just like it says in Hebrews, out of weakness, they were made strong. You know, Tim Tebow, some years back, wrote a book uh, titled Shaken. Some of you have probably read it. And in the book, he, he, he chronicles a, a basketball game between the Chicago Bulls and the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, back from March 28, 1990. Now, this was a game where, where Michael Jordan just dominated the game. Now, in the end, they, they, they won the game in, in double overtime, 117 to 113. And, and the whole game, Jordan was just unstoppable. In fact, he, he closed the game out with a career-high 69 points. Now, there was a lesser-known hero in the game, a, a rookie by the name of Stacy King. Now, Stacy King only took four shots in the whole game, and listen, he missed all four of those shots. But he was fouled on his fourth shot, so now he's up at the free throw, free throw line. And so he's there, and, and, and the pressure's on, and, and, and he takes a shot, and he misses. And so now he's got one more shot. And so, you know, he, 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 he's dribbling, he, he kind of looks around, every eye is on him, he looks over, and, 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 and he sees the, 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 the greatest basketball player in the world, uh, the, the greatest of all time, staring him in the eyes. I mean, the pressure is on like you couldn't believe. So he gulps, takes a big breath, puts it up in the air, swish, buzzer goes off, and they win the game. Now, after the game, you know, in the locker room, the reporters are all, of course, swarming around Michael Jordan. I mean, because it was like his, 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 his best game ever, 69 points. But there's one lonely reporter that's over there with Stacy King. But Stacy King had the mic drop moment of the night when he said, I'll always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I scored 70 points. <laughs> Listen, that's, that's how it is with you and God. You score one point, he did the 69. Out of weakness, you're made strong. Listen to this. Later on in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, God says, my power shows up best in weak people. And so listen, in the same way, let me tell you, you have been chosen by God. Just, just as God chose Gideon, just as God chose Barak, just as God chose Jephthah, just as God, for that matter, chose the Corinthians, God chose you. Why? Because God chooses the weak. 
And this is why it's, it's so important to never forget where we came from. To always remember the cesspool he found us in. To always remember how, how, how empty our lives were, how horrible things were, the way things were without Christ in them. To remember where we came from. Why? Because as far as God is concerned, the weaker, the better. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.